Hi, everybody. This is Emily Trenum, the host of Memphis Metropolis. I'm away from the microphone this week, so we're rebroadcasting one of my favorite episodes. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. The Brooks is open in Overton Park, home to Memphis art collection since 1916. The Memphis Brooks Museum of Art holds the largest collection of world art in the region, with more than 10,000 works spanning 5,000 years of art and cultures. Remember, every Wednesday is free and open until 8 p.m. They are a proud sponsor of WYXR. For more information about the museum and their exhibitions, visit brooksmuseum.org. You belong at the Brooks. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trendham, the Memphis Metropolis host. And this week, we've got kind of a different kind of guest, and that is Brandon Dill, who's a local freelance photographer. So welcome, Brandon. Hey, thanks for having me, Emily. So, Brandon, it's kind of a grand experiment. You know, I really love the audio format, mm-hmm. um, and always have, but... Um, you know, it's been challenged doing this show because the show is really about, you know, architecture and planning and landscapes. And I feel like 70% of my topics um, really could have a visual component. <laughs> and um, yeah. and that's that's been a challenge for me. And now we're taking that to the extreme by um, having you as a guest, not to talk about, you know, sort of an upcoming exhibit, but really just to talk about your photography. Could you do so much uh, so many photos of beautiful photos of urban places uh, in Memphis. And that's why um, I thought you just thought you'd be a great guest. Yeah. So, um, so let's just, I'd like to hear a little bit about you. I mean, how did you have, you know, have you always been a photographer professionally? how did you get into it? And, um, you know, I know you do a lot of um, editorial photography, and I don't know, I don't know you well enough if, if you do sort of fine art photography, but what was your path to getting into getting into the field? Sure. Um, I sort of have always enjoyed taking photos. Um, when I was in um, fourth grade, there was actually a uh, they had a yearbook staff that was made up of students at the elementary school, and I became the photographer for that just by coincidence. So I had this little handheld point-and-shoot camera called a Snappy Q. Of course, it was film back then. And so I've just been taking pictures ever since. And I never imagined or planned on it becoming a career. But when I went to college, eventually I had to declare a major. And so I you know, had started taking a few classes, so I became a photo major. And even still really never expected to um, do it professionally or, you know, call myself a photographer. But I've just been incredibly fortunate, um, largely uh, due to lucky breaks that have happened in Memphis. So I had had some photo jobs, mostly covering sports and things, but I became a, a stringer for the Commercial Appeal, which was a, a regular freelance gig that I did for many years. And in the course of that, um you know, photographed and met so many different people in so many different capacities all around the city 
that had helped sort of springboard into other things. So now I, I photograph for all kinds of folks. Uh, I shoot for national publications. I cover the Memphis Grizzlies for the Associated Press. Um, and yeah, I'm just super lucky. So, you know, we were emailing a little before um, before we actually got on to record the interview. And you were you were telling me just about, you know, some of the things you really loved about being a photographer. And um, one of them is just you're a curious person and um, it gives you a reason to be in settings that you're curious about, but it wouldn't necessarily where you wouldn't necessarily feel at home otherwise. So elaborate on that a little bit. I probably didn't do a good job of explaining it, but I thought it was very interesting. Oh, no, I, um, I completely agree. And I work very hard to be as sensitive as possible. But um, I think, uh, you know, the appropriate analogy is just having something arbitrary, but acceptable to be doing in a place where you don't belong can just sort of grant you license in other people's minds. You know, it's the, the notion of asking if you, you know, I, I used to work at restaurants a lot. It's hard to ask your boss to just go stand out back for 15 minutes, but if you have to go smoke a cigarette, it's just understood that that's going to take place. Um, same thing if you're just standing in front of somebody's house that you've never seen before, that's a little weird, but if you happen to have a dog on a leash, then it's like, oh, that's why this person is here. So in many situations, simply by virtue of being there for an assignment and having a camera um, allows you not not in a voyeuristic way or something, but it just it helps soften barriers, I would say. Uh, and it just kind of uh, makes it easier to poke your nose where it doesn't necessarily belong um, or where it wouldn't otherwise. So that that's something that I've always enjoyed. I am a curious person. I do like to explore and um so, yeah, by virtue of the fact, I think that in the time that I was mostly working for the paper, I photographed up some 2,000 assignments. So I just, you know, got to be in sort of every room and corner and neighborhood and part of the city um, and, you know, had a reason to be there. So it's kind of a real a love affair with that aspect of it. Um, yeah. That's so interesting because um, I also love – you know, delving into the nooks and crannings of a, of a city and or a place. Like I'm the person who does not like to take the expressway, mm. either in Memphis or if you have a travel, unless I'm going a long distance, I do not like to take the expressway because I really like to drive down, you know, get well. And the equivalent of this is I like to drive and see the, what the urban fabric looks like. And, um, you know, the little Honduran restaurant that's tucked away that you might not know about or, and, um, that's just, so I feel like I'm, I'm similar in that way. Yeah. Oh, if I'm, um, I've recently been taking some photographs related to the, uh, TVA's Allen coal plant, which is closed and they're moving this coal ash. Uh, I'm working on some assignments about, about that. And I, I think it's really important work, but I definitely take advantage if I'm all the way down on, you know, by the Allen plant, I'm certainly going to drive around the corner and look at new core steel and see where, where does plant road dead end. And then you get down there and you say, Oh, I can see, well, this is where all the street racing happens, you know, because there's, um, you know, sort of all the tire marks down there. So it's, it's nice to get a sense of the place in a deeper level than, you know, it's not, it, yeah. So I guess the, um, being a professional photographer or freelancer, I guess, even working for, you know, prestigious national publications along with local publications probably must be a little bit of a, you know, roller coaster in terms of 
you know, I work for myself also, and it's it is definitely there's a feast and famine element to mm-hmm. it. Yeah, um, it took a long time to get adjusted to that reality, and um, yeah, I've never been on staff at a publication or for a, an institution or anything. Um, and so for, yeah, for many years that was stressful, you know, uh, just living with that sort of uncertainty, you know, I'm married, we have two children. Um, but now I'm, I'm really grateful, um, because it's, it's worked out well. I've sort of have a diversified, I don't have all my eggs in one basket, so to speak. So I photograph for a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. And, um, it's, it's, it works itself out. So, um, I want to ask you, so, so you've done all kinds of photography and, but I, I really, I guess because a combination of my interest, um, and you know, when we work together, I'm just really interested in your photography of places. Right. And I mean, I'm a, pe- I'm a, I'm, I'm not so much a people person. I'm a place person. Okay. And, um, you know, I really love, you know, neighborhoods, buildings, streetscapes, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, the sort of physical skeleton of a place. And I feel like you just do a really, you do a really great job of capturing that. And I guess I was wondering, you know, how, how do you do that when you go to a, how do, when, when you go to a place for the first time? Like, how do you capture the essence of it? Some photographers do it well. I think you do. And is that some kind of special magic dust? Or, <laughs> or, and maybe that's a hard question to answer, but I'm curious about it. I mean, there's a few things. I certainly, um, I do, you know, the basic things. I'm always looking for uh, a, a nice quality of light at whatever space I am. But I think deeper than that, though, Emily, like when we talk about, the built environment and you know we talk about the skeleton of a city or these structures and things really even without having to say anything we are talking about people right i mean the these things are built by people and then they're designed to interact with people or of course for better or for worse you know they have they affect the community they provide services or they're detrimental or whatever and so i i try to incorporate a notion about you know what impact or effect these places have on people. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of, it's, well, uh, frankly, it's exciting to go explore uh, anything, you know, and so an abandoned structure or an empty space or anything is alluring and inviting. And I think there is, uh, you know, a whole section of the internet that's just full of um, really pretty pictures of really empty spaces. I think, you know, some people, you know, refer to that as as blight porn. Um, And I think the reason that it can be viewed pejoratively is because oftentimes they're either subconsciously or deliberately to make those kinds of photos is to avoid interacting with people like these spaces by their nature are abandoned a lot of the time. And so it's sort of a way to make like go some other place where you don't have a connection, create something that looks cool and then bring it back and show other people there without having to interact with the people. So I, I am uh, commonly working as an outsider in many spaces and I make mistakes, but I think it's important to have the, uh, some deliberate thoughtfulness, you know, uh, it's important to have intentionality and ask the question about why you're doing what you're doing. What purpose will this photograph serve? And I try to whatever degree possible to interact with the folks that are there. And then somehow, you know, 
um, through those interactions and that awareness about the communities that's surrounding a space or is affected by it or has an opinion about it, I think it can color the way that you make images about it. So, um, you know, I, I make, I agree. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, that's, that's interesting. And I, I st- struggle a little bit with the, that be, as well. Like when you, I mean, you have done some, um, I mean, just one example, and I want to talk about some of the places you've, some of the specific places you photographed in a minute, but like, let's just use Orange Mound, for example. Okay. I mean, you've done a lot of work for, well, not just Orange Mound. I mean, you've done a lot of work for the, um, for Neighborhood Preservation Inc. and the works and who's working in a lot of distressed neighborhoods and, I see those images and this is not unique to you in particular. It's just, I'm drawn to those images, you know, with the beautiful abandoned building with the, with the graffiti on it. That's a, a really a beautiful photograph, but you know, I work in community development and, you know, putting myself in the position of the person who lives next door. I mean, that building may have squatters, it may have rats, it may be, you know, physically threatened, certain might might cause trauma. Uh And I'm not, I am not saying there's any kind of answer to this, to the, to the the dilemma. And I certainly don't think those photographs, those beautiful photographs shouldn't be taken. I just, it's two parts of my brain are in conflict when I'm looking at it's a, you know, it's a beautiful picture of a building that probably the people who live there don't think is beautiful for obvious reasons. Yeah. And it's, it's worth, you know, poking your head over there and saying, Hey, you know, is anybody home? Like I'm out here taking a picture of this building because I'm trying, you know, why are you doing it? You know? And I think it, it, it begs the question sometimes maybe, you know, it's, there isn't a reason to, I mean, create a beautiful image, of course, that's fine. But if it's if it's not in relation to something like I mean, I I make those pictures frequently. I've, I've been really fortunate to work with, um, like, say, MLK 50 locally on a story about sort of tax subsidized real estate development, like housing development, you know, with a um, edge grants, these pilots. And they did an analysis about, you know, what parts of the cities um, could really use more affordable housing stock and where apartments actually are being built. And so. In that instance, it felt really important to draw this, the visual side of it. I mean, the, the story was very much about data, but the visual aspect of it was to show these shiny new apartment complexes going up, whereas, you know, a mile and a half away, they could really, a neighborhood could certainly use something like that, particularly if it's tax subsidized, but that it's a very distressed area, you know. But the, the humans play a part in that, you know. I try, I'm not lurking around, waiting until nobody's there. I'm for, and sometimes, you know, uh, people would be more comfortable with me not being there. And I certainly, you know, respect and honor that. And I say, you know, that makes sense. I'll try to, you know, engage folks in the conversation, but um, yeah, it sucks for, you know, to see somebody who doesn't uh, live where you live, come up around your house and be like, Oh, I'm making a story about how hard things are around here. Um, well, I think that's it. You make it, you're making an important distinction though. We say most of your work is uh, most of the, that, that kind of, photography for you is towards a it's it's illustrating a story or it's you're not producing a giant coffee table right of, of blight in memphis i mean which i think those exist from detroit yes you know and that's how it got the term sort of blight porn mm-hmm. and and um and the um because 
Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's an important distinction, but um, and then I think, it sounds like you've for sure thought about it. Yeah. Well, there's a difference too. I mean, like if, um, you know, if, it, if it's not affecting individuals so directly, it is fun just to go, you know, I mean, if I get to go inside the Mid-South Coliseum, I'm thrilled and I'm not so concerned about if I take these pictures of this dilapidated building, that's more sort of a, a broad city issue, a policy issue, you know, the, um, sure. your neighbor or, you know, sometimes it just, and it doesn't have to be blight either. Gosh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of new things happening that are, they're just, it's exciting to be, you know, a, a part of whatever it is. There was, I once had an assignment to go, there's a flyover at 240. When they built the new one in Memphis, it's technically the tallest interstate thing in, in the state of Tennessee. And it was just like, you know. Oh, wow. Another thing to be bit. proud of. Yeah. We're just standing up there <laughs> taking pictures. That's fun. That's exciting. You know, and I try to make those beautiful as well, but the stakes aren't quite so high as far as, um, you know, you're not concerned about exploiting someone or exoticizing misery, you know? Um, right. Exactly. Although you could argue that those interstates <laughs> are exploiting us in their own way, but that's an, a conversation oh, right. for okay. another yes. day. The, the segregation by design <laughs> notion of the entire uh, United States interstate system is certainly, yeah, right. I could do a podcast on it. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WWAGSR 91.7 FM. And I'm talking to, Brandon Dill, a, a photographer who captures a lot of urban places and including a lot that I'm very interested in. So, Brandon, that's what I wanted to talk yeah, about next is is just to um, I, I just want to, you know, sort of do a little lightning round of the places. I mean, you've photographed a lot of places, but a couple of places in particular and have you just sort of react to them and tell me what was great about what your impressions are about them and what was great about working in those areas. And the first is, is Crosstown. Oh yeah. Um, well, I recently just put together a little gallery ex, um, on my website because by a total coincidence over the many years of working for newspapers and uh, nonprofits and other uh, publications, I kind of have this big library of the entire sort of metamorphosis of that place. So, you know, of course, for a long time, it was a really exciting, big, empty thing to go check out. Uh, Very cool. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible in there. And, but then I, I, I realized years later that I was by a total coincidence at one of the very earliest meetings when a lot of the stakeholders and organizers were getting together to discuss the sort of rehabilitation of that thing. And, you know, the notion of it being this vertical village. And then I would, you know, a year later I'd have, some photograph of the construction happening inside and then a, you know, a groundbreaking and the opening day. And I photographed inside Crosstown high school. And, um, so I, I mean, I do love that. I think it's very exciting to just sort of chronicle this physical building, but that, you know, it, it means so much to many people. It's imperfect in many ways, but it is a massive undertaking that it's generally viewed as a success. And yeah, it just impacts so many people in so many different ways. So I, I'm excited just to be, just to have the privilege really of kind of being in that place all those different times. Well, I love Crosstown and, but, but from a, a, a photographic perspective, I mean, being able to take take that your pictures take it from blight to beauty. Oh yeah. 
Um, and just that whole spectrum, um, I have looked at that and I'll, I'll post, you know, a link to your website in the show notes for people that listen to this as a podcast. So people can, can take a look, but you do, you really captured the whole gamut. Yeah. I mean, uh, another Memphis photographer, Jamie Harmon has those beautiful prints on display inside Crosstown, you know, where he went around at various stages before the construction was finished and you had these really lovely before and after photos. And I think that's just, it's important. I mean, it's, it's wonderful artistically, but it's also just important historically to be able to have that from whatever the structure is, whatever the project is. Um, no question. Well, and, and, you know, the Crosstown Concourse and stuff, that really cool, like quarterly newsletter um, that has, you know, frequently has historic images yeah. of Crosstown when it was the Sears. And I love seeing those. So let's, so next on my little list is Orange Mound. Okay. So, so tell me about photographing an Orange Mound. Well, uh, I live in Cooper Young. So Orange Mound is a community that's, you know, geographically very close. Uh, but I think like many places in Memphis and around the country, it's, uh, you know, but there's not so much crossover. So, um, again, like a lot of the work, I just feel very grateful to have had the opportunity to be over there. Um, I would say most of the photography I've done in Orange Mound, though, is more about um, individuals than it is about the structures. Uh, but I did recently photograph uh, a series for High Ground News, as you know, about the um, it's a part of the environmental justice series. That's just continuing to draw attention to issues around blight and disinvestment and sort of the persistence of those issues. So, um, so you mentioned the Coliseum earlier. Anything else you want to say about that? Because I know you've done a lot of photography of the Coliseum, which is very, is very cool, um, you know, to go inside now. Of course, I want it to be fixed up, but it's cool as it is. Yeah. I mean, that just in a strict sense, I mean, it, it makes me feel like a little boy, you know, I'm just very excited to be tromping around in there whenever I have the opportunity. Um, to work with those folks in whatever capacity to, you know, get up in a catwalk and find them. There's just sort of like, it's really feels the Coliseum is interesting to me because I guess a lot of places, but it, you know, there's a sense that they closed their doors one day, but maybe didn't really realize that that was the last day they were ever going to be there. So there's just so many kind of artifacts frozen in time all over the place that um, there's a real energy to it. I mean, it's, you know, solemn as well. I mean, did you grow up in Memphis? Uh, did you grow up going there? No, I didn't. Uh, I, my wife and I moved to Memphis in 2007, but I grew up um, in the burbs outside Nashville, actually. So, okay. Yeah. So you don't have a lot. Of, I'm not from Memphis either. So I don't have, I mean, I've, I've been there a couple times before it closed, but I don't have these. In fact, I did, I did a show with, um, you know, Angela Barksdale and Roy Barnes from the mm -hmm. Coliseum Coalition a while back. And, you know, just talking about the, actually talking about, you know, Orange Mound people walking to the Coliseum for wrestling and, you know, all these memories that people have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't get to uh, answer the, where did you go to high school question in Memphis. So I don't know if, I don't know how long I have to live here before I get to be a Memphian, but, um, but we, you know, we, we consider this home, both of our both of our girls are Memphis made. So, yeah, I don't, that's, I don't, that's something that is definitely was sort of news to me when I started working community development, what a big deal that was, mm -hmm. um, you know, where you went to high school and, 
you know, Manassas versus East and yeah. all of those schools. So, well, and oh, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, um, some I collaborate sometimes with uh, MPI and the works, and those folks have they've got this huge initiative to sort of this renaissance project at Northside High School. And that, yeah, what did uh, yeah, talk about that because I well, that was next on my list, the Northside, and then the whole that whole Klondike Smoky City neighborhood, yeah. Um, I mean, that that school just seems tremendously important to the entire community, and it was closed. I believe in 2014, but don't quote me on that. Um, and it's just been sitting there ever since. So they've got quite a plan to um, turn it into a whole host of things. People immediately make the comparison to Crosstown and it's independent in its own ways. But I think it, it just helps. Um, it seems to help people understand. But I, I hope very much to be able to do a similar kind of documentation of the entire process. Um you know, not just the walls of this building, but how it is now and what it meant. Uh, there are a lot of graduates from there and former educators that still live in the neighborhood. So there are a lot of storytelling opportunities there and people are eager to participate in that. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful to be able to continue our relationship and do some of that visual storytelling. So have you been inside Northside? I haven't, I mean, I haven't been inside, so I'm dying to see what it's like. And I heard there's this giant auditorium and. Yes. Yeah. I have, uh, I have been inside and poked around a little bit and it's, I mean, it's an amazing space. Um, so I, I think it's, it's one of the most exciting potential projects, you know, getting underway in the city, but yes, the, the auditorium is massive. The gymnasium, it's massive. Um, I mean, the build, again, I'm not the expert on all of the statistics, but I believe it was the largest, what, what used to be Memphis City Schools and then Shelby County Schools building at the time before it was closed. Um, so that's. I didn't know that. So, yeah, I had Rashawn Austin on recently talking about the project and she didn't mention that. But um, it does have very interesting history. And the, the one of the interesting things about the project that people don't talk about as much is it's really part of a, you know, it's really part of a campus with a library mm -hmm. and a community center at a park. And I think there's, you know, plans for all of the school um, and and there's it's plans for all of those, but to me that I would love to see the project sort of ignite, um, ignite that. So the whole, I mean, really, when you think about it, people from the community can go can go there for all kinds of reasons. Yeah, I think so too. That's it would be really exciting. It would just kind of be, you know, the new star around which a lot of other things can orbit. You know. So you mentioned sort of storytelling a minute ago. And I want to segue a little bit to talking about um, advocacy because, I mean, you have you have done. I, I mean, first of all, I feel like your work with, um, you know, Neighborhood Preservation Inc. is which is all about, and the works which is really all about, you know, blight eradication, neighborhood revitalization. I mean, that is um, that work of yours, you know, certainly supports advocacy, but also you mentioned doing some work around the pipeline. So what, I guess the question is in terms of the social justice issues, what role do you think photos can play in those campaigns um, in, in sort of advancing the policy changes that are needed? I, I mean, I think in just photos can 
I don't want to overstate you know, the importance of my contribution, of course, but I, I think in the context of a broader storytelling, I think the photograph helps humanize any story, any, you know, if there's a struggle or a group of people who are resisting something, it's one thing to sort of read about the name of the neighborhood or, you know, what the specifics of something like a pipeline are, but to be able to visualize the people who are affected and who are involved, um, there's, you know, it, it helps people to empathize. So again, yeah, I was grateful, um, to, to be able to participate in, in my own small way. I, I photographed some things related to the, the struggle by MCAP and other organizations against the Bihalia pipeline. Um, just photo, I, I had a chance to meet with some of the landowners who, um, I don't, you know, if, if you're familiar with the, the struggle people in Boxtown and other South Memphis neighborhoods, um, uh, the company was trying to build a pipeline to connect to the Valero refinery. And they sort of famously described their route that the pipeline was going to snake through as the path of least resistance by which they weren't talking about a geological feature in the ground that <laughs> needed to be overcome. You know, they were sort of overtly talking about poor, maybe poor, poor people who don't have money to hire lawyers. Yeah. It's, um, yes. Yeah. Uh, like low wealth area with the people who have less political capital than, than other places might. So I, it was great to be able to meet with some of the folks and um, you know, I can't recall a comparable local effort that achieved quite that kind of a victory. I, I, I think, and again, I'm ignorant about so many things, but it, it felt very powerful to see this purely grassroots organization kind of form and oppose such a huge project, such a moneyed project and to, you know, get a victory, attract some national attention and then, and then win. Um, so that's very exciting. But, and I'm sure it was great to play, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm involved in a very small way in something important. And it's a great feeling to know that you, your contribution, even um, how, even if it was small or large helped, you know, bring something over the finish line. It's really, a, it's a great, it must be, it must be a good feeling to be involved in, you know, to be the photographer for something important. It feels wonderful. Yeah. Like you say, I, yes. I mean, it's not, uh, my contribution is not a major part of what's taking place, but it is my contribution. And so it's nice if you're, you know, you're going to put your efforts in a certain direction. It, it's, uh, it's satisfying to feel like at least for yourself, you're on what you view as the, the right side of things, you know? Well, and I think it just also illuminates so issues that people just want to turn a blind eye to for sure. The pictures, some of the pictures you've done for neighborhood preservation and MLK 50. I mean, of course I spent a lot of time in neighborhoods and drive around and I know what our city looks like, but a lot of people just don't because of where they live or where they travel. And I think those pictures can, like I said, can illuminate and maybe make people think, you know, do we really want, do we really want a city where, you know, people are living in these conditions, whether it's, you know, a blighted apartment complex or boarded up buildings, or I hope that people will, um, I think images can, can, can 
convey more than words in that kind of a situation. Sure. Yeah. I think they can sort of allow people to, uh, you know, mentally access the realities of the situation. And then, you know, the, it's a, it's a quick way to get, feel connected by, you know, looking at the images. So the, the, I want to talk a little, I mean, it sounds like, you know, as you said, the beginning, you're a very curious person and sometimes go off on your own. I mean, sometimes you're doing a lot of assignments, but also those assignments take you in different directions or sometimes your curiosity takes you uh, somewhere new that has interesting photographic results. And so I wanted to ask, I mean, one example you and I talked about was the, you know, the, the Lick Creek and the Bayou. Mm, oh, yes. Um, and, and, there may, and there may be other examples, but sort of, because High Ground published those articles about the Bayou and, um, but but I did had no idea how you sort of got started on that. Yeah. Uh, so Lick Creek is, uh, I, I, it was a creek uh, at one time and now it's kind of been channelized as a drainage system. And uh, uh, there's a big open portion of it that flows right through Overton Park. It's kind of the barrier between the Greens Ward side and the Old Forest in a way. Not a barrier, but, a, you know, a demarcation. And, yeah, it's just this kind of natural curiosity. I used to have a Shih Tzu named Lucy who was uh, a, a great little traveling adventure partner. And we could jump down there and she wouldn't have to be on the leash. And I would say, well, let's see where this goes. And I just, uh, you know, every time I would go a little bit farther and a little bit farther. And, yeah, sure enough, if you start, you know, heading south, eventually you come to these big tunnels that go underneath Overton Square and if you go north, you go right through the middle of the zoo, had it much to their chagrin. I don't think they appreciate people being down there. But uh, and then, you know, underneath North Parkway, and that's really exciting. And so I, I just got really interested in exploring that. And then uh, I met I had some assignments photographing uh, Jimmy Ogle, who is a historian for a long time. And he knows how to get in and through and on top of everything in Memphis. Notorious for that. And so he helped me kind of understand what you said, the Bayou Gayoso downtown is just this massive underground drainage system that is it's hard to even really wrap your head around but there are places where you can get in and then walk underground and there are just mind-boggling structures and uh, and old infrastructure that is still right there just under your feet if you're on the surface that you would never know about um it's it's very exciting you know yeah, we um, storyboard Memphis did uh, an article about it recently, and I had the author of that article, Carolyn uh, Carico, on just to talk about all the the whole history of it, and you know the purpose it served originally, and then how it got covered over, and the whole yellow fever thing. Mm-hmm. It's really it's really fascinating, and like I said, I've seen your pictures because we were embedded in that uptown neighborhood for a while. Yes. And, um, and then, and we ran some of your pictures about underneath there. So very cool. Yeah. Yeah. The little detail I like about that. And I can't be, I can't attest to its accuracy or the reason why, but I think I mentioned to you, there's a, there's a Wendy's at the corner of, this is real wonky Memphis niche, but there's a Wendy's at the corner of Washington and Danny Thomas downtown. And the drive-thru has a sign over it. That's not warning vehicles about a height limit, but about a weight limit. And if you are, underground in Bayou Gayoso right there, you're standing under the old vaulted Washington Street Bridge, which somehow still exists under there. And so I believe that that sign is there because separating that parking lot from just the abyss underneath this bridge is just a few feet of dirt and asphalt. Um, I, I wow. find that totally fascinating. Definitely. So are there, are there other sort of 
examples like that of, you know, personal, personal things that just ended up taking you down a very interesting journey um, that you didn't, that we're not re- related to an assignment oh, yeah. per se, but, but ended up yielding some really interesting work. Oh, gosh. I mean, everything in Memphis, in, um, it ended up becoming an assignment at one point or another. You know, I used to know how to kind of sneak into the pyramid a little bit um, and then ended up photographing it a million times through as it transformed into a Bass Pro Shop. Um, I don't know. Oh, you know, we asked me about Orange Mount earlier and I was so focused just on the recent work that I had done for High Ground. I'd be really remiss if I didn't say another huge project that I'm so excited about is the Orange Mount Tower project over there that the folks at Tone are undergoing. And I, I can't believe I didn't think to mention it. I'm not connected with those folks, but I'm super excited about the entire intent and energy of that whole project. And I have been fortunate enough to photograph it uh, for a few different assignments. I think that is a huge potential uh, transformative project over there to turn that into a, you know, a, a black centered arts and music space. And the, the vision of the folks in charge over there, is, uh, it's very exciting, but that's a huge I, empty space that I would try to sneak around in and then finally photograph formally. I agree. And um, yeah, they're, they're amazing. Um, the folks that are doing that project. And I think you photographed them for the New York times. Did you not? Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. So it was nice. Um, I, I mean, I was very grateful that they got that national exposure and then that's sort of the, uh, the trifecta for me is to photograph, I mean, just selfishly personally to photograph something that is in a national publication is about Memphis and is generally positive. You know, that feels, that's the kiss for me. That's, that's really nice. Well, and, and plus a really cool space. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. And then it was, yes, it was also nice to have like official license to be like, Oh yeah. If you want to climb around on top of this thing at sunrise, like, by all means, here's the key to the gate, you know, <laughs> oh, wow. rather than having to be can I, shifty. About it. Can I, can I be your assistant? <laughs> <laughs> anytime, anytime. I, if you want to go poking around, I'm, I'm begging people, uh, like if you want to get up at six in the morning and go traipsing through this abandoned building, by all means, come along, you know. I love, I love, um, going into spaces like that. I've never, I've never been, of course I've been by there a million times and I always wondered why somebody, you know, Memphis has so little density, why uh, a warehouse was built at that height yeah. in a city, in a city where everything is just one story warehouses who, I mean, I'm sure there was a, it was a practical purpose for it, but that always, um, cause Orange Mound is, you know, a low rise area of city and driving along and you see this, you know, kind of sort of higher building. Yeah. Well, I think the, the times article sort of hinted at that and I try to make my photos as well. It is literally this monolith, you know, that I think as a, uh, vacant space sort of looms, you know, and it's kind of can symbolize some of the struggles that Memphis as a whole faces, you know, these sort of neglected properties, but with the the notion that if it becomes transformed and becomes this vibrant new space, then it just sort of this can become this beacon in a way, you know, I think of all the positive potential energy, um, you know, becoming kinetic finally. So I'm, I'm very excited, you know, as, as a landmark, you can see it from so many places from so many miles away that it would be exciting for, you know, people to be like, what is that? And be like, Oh my gosh, well, let me tell you, it's all this cool stuff is happening there. You know? Well, plus that whole 
um, you know, going back to roads for a minute, that whole part of town where you've got this junction, this junction of these, you know, major roads and the whole sort of streetscape um, in that area is also very interesting. Yeah, yeah it's wild. So uh, also in that neighborhood is um, Melrose, which I have been inside. Um, and that's very cool looking. Have you been inside Melrose as part of that pro- redevelopment project? Uh, that's I have not. That's uh, one feather in my cap that I haven't been able to add yet, unfortunately. Uh, um, but yeah, no, you're right. It's uh, I think you could draw a lot of similarities, I imagine, between it and Northside. You know, it's a, a building that is really important and historically significant to so many people from the, the community. Um, but yeah, no, I haven't had a chance to get in there yet. So you... Um, any, any cool upcoming projects you can tell us about? Uh, I am, that are, yeah, no, I am working on, um, something that should be out pretty soon. That's, I, I'm just taking photographs. It's going to be a much broader, uh, kind of environmental justice story, but it's, it's related to the TVA's decision to transport this coal ash waste from the shuttered Allen fossil plant to a, a landfill across Memphis and, it's really, you know, we were talking earlier about how exciting it was when uh, the community achieved this victory against the Bahalia pipeline. And I believe it was only two weeks after that, you know, the decision to stop work on the pipeline that the TVA announced that they were going to start trucking coal ash through the neighborhood, the same groups, the same community um, for a really long time. And so that's it's a complicated issue, but um, I have been working on that a little bit. That's yeah, that's that's interesting and uh, and very worthwhile. So okay, well, this has been fascinating. I wish we had visuals, but hopefully people <laughs> can check out those. Your the website's brandondill.com, that's right? That's it. Okay, people can remember that. <laughs> so so, um, so I've been talking to Brandon Dill, freelance photographer, and great chronicle of the chronicler of the built environment here in Memphis, hence the appearance on Memphis Metropolis. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Brandon. Emily, thank you so much for having me. This has been a a really nice conversation. I appreciate it. You're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. Have you checked out any of WYXR's other shows? You can see the whole program guide on our website at wyxr.org. And while you're there, please consider making a donation. We're a brand new station lifting up everything Memphis, and we need your support. But don't go away. Stay tuned for the rest of the show. This is Clark Ward Keys, co-founder at Crosstown Brewing Company. We are proud to be WYXR's official beer sponsor for 2022. Memphis music deserves Memphis beer. Working with the WYXR team has been an awesome way to support local community radio and foster a deeper connection with music while doing it. Our Instagram and Facebook pages feature all the updates regarding CBC and WYXR's frequent collaborations. Enjoy following along. Welcome to part two of Memphis Metropolis. And this part of the show, I'm joined by Cole Bradley, one of our regular commentators, although Cole, you haven't been on lately. Um, So welcome back to Memphis Metropolis. Thanks. It's great to be back. It's exciting. I haven't had a lot of 
Um, I don't know. Recently, I have, I guess the interviews have been on the longer side. I haven't had a lot of commentary generally. So I missed that, though. So I'm glad you're here. The first part of the show, I had on Brandon Dill, who is a really talented local photographer. I was attracted to his work because he's done some amazing work of the built environment, you know, neighborhoods, old buildings, the kind of thing that makes my heart beat faster. And it was, you know, a bit of a experiment having a photographer on, but I thought it was a really great conversation. And so just wanted, um, I have a couple questions I wanted to ask you, but first of all, just see if you had any reflections on the discussion. Yeah. I mean, first off, I thought it was a great conversation. I loved the points about, you know, photography as, as advocacy, as parts, a uh, critical part really of movements. So many for so many famous photographs of historic points in time, you know, really put context and illustration to those moments for people who come after who couldn't be there, you know, um, I love that. And you know, the ability of photography to advance a cause or speak to a cause. I love the conversation around, um, you know, blight versus beauty and art versus, you know, poverty porn and just really great conversation. Yeah. You know, when you think about, I didn't, I didn't mention this. And of course there's lots of photographers who have captured important moments in advocacy history, but you know, a local one that comes to mind, of course, is Ernest Withers and um, you know, those iconic pictures of, I am Amanda sanitation workers, and that's just his most well-known. He took all kinds of images of the civil rights museum. And some of those really, you know, were the first times, of course we didn't have Twitter or the internet or really even, you know, you had the newspapers. And I think that was the first time that people really got Ernest Withers and then other photographers of the movement. That was the first time people really got to see some of those, like the iconic picture of, um, of the dogs going after civil rights workers and, and And children and children. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You should mention um, Mr. Withers because when I think of advocacy photography, that is uh, one of the artists who absolutely comes to mind. I recall a few years ago, it's probably a number of years ago now, who knows any more timing and the pandemic we've all lost. It's like some sort of big black hole of time. But some years ago, um, Brooks Museum had a gallery dedicated to his work and did a show of his work. And it was just so moving as, you know, as visual art, just simply on its face as visual art, but also as a lifelong Memphian to see pieces of history that some of them, uh, a lot of them, I hadn't even seen before. And so you have a different relationship with your city when you understand its history, but it's a very real relationship when you can see it, you know, in that case, right there in black and white, you know? I agree. And of course, Brandon, and he talked about this, um, photographed the, some of the activism around the Bihalia pipeline movement, which was, you know, very, very important and was ultimately successful. And then he talked about, you know, now he's going to be covering the, you know, TVA's proposed movement of the coal ash, 
across the city and also going to be very important. So I feel like he's doing, he's really doing what we call the Lord's work in, (laughs) in, in that regard. So, so sort of, but, but going up a little farther beyond just advocacy, Cole, um, let's talk a, a few minutes about the role of the important role the photography plays, you know, in storytelling and especially storytelling about places. So, so, and, and you and I both have worked at high ground and I can think of a couple really great examples. We did a, you and I worked on a body of work in Orange Mound and we had some wonderful photography capturing the Orange Mound Parade, capturing, there were some beautiful photographs of um, ballet dancers in the streets of Orange Mound, some of the the built environment. And to me, those, in addition to the articles we published, those, those stories really captured what a neighborhood was like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what better way to take uh, a figurative snapshot of a moment in time? And in that, in a, the case of like the parade, for example, it was, you know, this just wonderful community celebration, vibrant, colorful, the movement in that photography. Um, I believe Andrea Morales did that. And it's just stunning work, just stunning work. And, you know, the, you can almost hear the music, you can smell the food and you can hear the laughter and the energy of the participants. And I mean, especially for neighborhoods that have such a negative narrative so often, you know, like Orange Mound, uh, I just think it's so important to contrast those narratives and what better way to do that than these beautiful f- photographs of just people celebrating being alive and together in community and fellowship with one another. You know, you can't do that with words the same way that you can with an image. I agree. And so I like to, I like to, to, call you the Memphis Metropolis resident anthropologist, the in-house <laughs> anthropologist. But but I mean, even though it's a little bit of a joke we have, you are an anthropologist. And and so much of anthropology is stories. Yes. Is capturing stories. So does photography come into the I, I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this because it's mm-hmm. just occurring to me, but does does do visual elements, including photography, come into the work of an anthropologist? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about documenting uh, research, again, you can just get so much richness and context from images that you can't get in notes or documented word or even recordings. You know, there's, and just like there's things in recordings that you can't get in a photograph, like the tone of someone's voice, but you can, in a lot of ways, capture that. What is, what is, what do the lines on their face say? What do their eyes say? You know, and so, yeah, um, anthropologists have long used photography as part of the sort of ethnographic process and the the process of documenting and, and capturing stories and capturing elements of culture like 
like dress, um, you know, every culture, that's one big cultural universal is the way that people are is costuming dress of some sort clothing, but every culture kind of does it a little differently. Traditional clothes are always a little specific. And so, yeah, that's a great example of like, you know, I can describe to you what a gown in Ottoman empire, Turkey or whatever, you know, looks like, or I could draw you a picture or I could take a photograph, you know, um, not to be like, I'm, I don't know. If, I can't remember when the Ottoman happened, if they had cameras, but you know, anyway, point is visuals make a difference. Well, and what about urban anthropology is photography of places part of um, documenting those stories? Oh, a hundred percent. And I would also say that like self-documentation is an important part of that. So like, one of my very favorite documentaries ever um, is um, Born into Brothels. And it's an ethnographic and social scientists, you know, went and into India and uh, were basically gave cameras, disposable cameras to the children of sex workers in the brothels in India. And the the way that they were able to capture and document their their own lives and tell their own stories through photography, I just think was incredible. And, you know, people that's been replicated a lot, you know, give somebody a camera, ask them to create sort of a visual journal of their life and document their own life. You know, have some agency in that. I think it's a great tool and it's an easy tool that's really accessible, even for people who may have low literacy. You know, when we talk about communities, you know, we have to consider the people who are least likely to be able to participate in something. And people with low literacy are often um, excluded from a lot of stuff. And photography is a, an equalizer for them. Interesting. Okay, well, we don't have a lot of time today, Cole, but I did want to ask you, you know, Brandon and I had a long conversation about, um, about you know, he's done a lot of photography for uh, neighborhood preservation and the works. And a lot of that is docu documenting blight. Some of that has appeared in Orange Mound. And the, you know, a lot of those photos are on the face of it, just, you know, beautiful from an art perspective. And he and I talked about the, I won't say it's a conflict really, but about my sort of mixed feelings about, you know, seeing those things as objects of beauty, whereas understanding that they're, um, you know, that's an outsider's view um, and that, you know, looking through the eyes of the people who live next door. And of course he, he, um, I won't say he pushed back, but he talked a lot about how he's, you know, he's really using the photography as a documentary tool. And, um, and it certainly wasn't a criticism of his work at all. I think he's fantastic, but that's the kind of subject that I think, um, you know, you and I have talked about. So I wanted to ask you if you uh, had any reflections on that. I mean, I do. I think that like anthropology, including people in decision making and and like urban planning and like, you know, so much else that we talk about often on this show, um, it's important to include people in the decision making. And so in my mind, the way that you can sort of balance um 
you know, are you exploiting people or ensure that you're not exploiting people is, you know, are you being respectful? Are you using it for a respectful purpose? Are you asking people before you take pictures of their property or themselves? Don't just snap photos of someone at a bus stop because they look poor. That's poverty porn. There's a clear line, but a doc, you know, people, sometimes photography can help people see beauty in things that they didn't see beauty in before. So photography can also be a tool to help people who maybe do live in blighted areas to see the beauty in their community um, as they do in other ways as well. But this is another way to do that or to have some sort of agency in the story that gets told. Like, yes, you can take a photo of my property, but you need to understand what's happening here. Or yeah, but you need to take a picture of this specifically or whatever. There's ways that you can do it, that you're not exploiting people. Well, and I think Brandon is very sensitive to that and and inclusive for sure. So it's what you're saying is I shouldn't feel bad for thinking those pictures are beautiful. No, I mean, there is, first off, I think Memphis is stunning uh, in so many ways. And I'll give you a really good example. No, I think that, you know, seeing the beauty in architecture, even if it's, disintegrating to some degree, seeing the beauty in the history of a space, even if it's, you know, got some busted windows or whatever. No, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And he's a skilled photographer. So he is producing art. But I'll tell you one of the things that really struck me once upon a time when we were doing the um, documentary with The Guardian UK. So The Guardian uh, came to do food desert piece on South Memphis and Rashan and um, Archie Willis, who are involved with the uh, Renaissance Project in uh, in Fraser, were in the documentary, and we were doing some early legwork for them. I was, and uh, another high ground person at the time was, and I was tasked with driving around South Memphis and taking some video and sending them the video of just like as I'm driving down the road. So I'm doing this, and I'm sending them video. And one thing they were marked, they were like, um. But like, it's so green, like it's so green, it's so pretty. They were expecting because of the reputation that precedes South Memphis, that it was gonna look terrible. But the reality is there's some gorgeous architecture. There's beautiful greenery, it's lush. Like, the birds sing. Like I mean, Glenview, I know. Like, yeah, there is beauty to be found in every single corner of Memphis, despite and because of its blight. No reason to shy away from it or to say it's not, it doesn't hold a certain beauty when for, when photographed by a masterful photographer, you know? And maybe right. that's good. All right. I'm going to, that's a great way to close. So I'm going to leave it there. And I've been talking to Cole Bradley, in-house anthropologist from Memphis Metropolis. We've been reflecting on a discussion I had with photographer Brandon Dill earlier in the program. So Cole, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Emily. Good to be back. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.